You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 72. And today we're asking the question, how visible is high-vis clothing? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's David Proven and I'm here with Drew Ray and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to safety of work or the work of safety and we examine the evidence surrounding it. And sometimes we ask really big questions about safety and sometimes we ask you know, more specific questions um, about practical situations. And today it's one of those more specific questions, Drew. So what, uh, what question are we answering today? Well, I really don't think we can say that this is necessarily an important question. At least I don't think anyone is crying out for the answer, David. But there was a discussion going on on LinkedIn. Um, I'd love to be able to give the right people credit, but the way LinkedIn feeds work, I sort of saw the discussion and I can never find it again afterwards. But someone was talking about seeing a worker in high visibility clothing against a backdrop of a roadside site with lots of other high visibility signs and markers. And they said it took them a while to see the person just because they weren't standing out because everything was high vis. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I wonder if anyone's done any research about that. And so I decided we'd do an episode just about high visibility clothing and how well it works. So Drew, I mean, you say it's not a big question, but come on, safety's all about high visibility. Like you don't have to go too far to... Uh to find high-vis um, is probably probably one of the most dramatic safety changes in the last 20 years. Well, it, it's visually dramatic. We don't argue about it nearly as much as we argue about safety one and safety two or resilience or behavioural safety. Everyone seems just sort of quite happy to get on with wearing this ridiculous-looking stuff. I don't know. I, it, it, <laughs> it was a big deal uh, for, for fitters and, and mechanics and electricians to go from uh, navy blue to uh, fluorescent orange. That was a very big deal. Uh, so, so tell us about your own high-vis wardrobe, David. M mine consists of two vests, which are very pristine, that I'm almost tempted to throw down in the mud and kick a little bit to make them look more authentic. Now, the problem with... Um, with uh, high visies changing companies that because everyone embroids their their logos onto high vis so unfortunately being a safety person my i mean this is probably not a good thing to say but um i was going to say being a safety person my high vis really doesn't get much use and that's a terrible thing to say but i my high vis doesn't usually get very dirty maybe maybe i'll say it that way and so you end up getting all these sets of high vis clothing for a particular company and then you change jobs and it's uh it's kind of useless because it's got the wrong logo on it so there's probably an opportunity to um have tear off patches with company logos so that as companies get bought and sold and people change jobs, uh, they don't have to replace all their high vis. But Drew, I do have um, I do have a couple of pairs of pants. I do have some shirts, some jackets, some fire retardant overalls, and um, I've got I'm pretty well kit kitted out. Yeah, I have to admit that one of my vests says Telstra across the back, even though I've never worked for Telstra. <laughs> Uh, but my, my wife used to work for a law firm, which in turn used to work for Telstra. And she once had to go somewhere that needed a high-vis outfit. And so that was added to the wardrobe. But I probably wear more high-vis stuff for cycling than I ever do actually working as a safety researcher. And um, I did try to chase down some articles that we haven't introduced the one we're going to talk about today. But um, I did try to see if I could find some other research as well. And there is um, there is a little bit on the visibility of cyclists as well. So... 
is probably a good thing to be wearing that high-vis while you're cycling, Drew. Yeah, that, that one actually doesn't seem to be that controversial. But as usual, what we'll do is we've I've picked out one sort of main paper for our discussion. But David, you've obviously looked at a few other things and I've obviously looked at a few other things. And I don't know if we've both gone down the same rabbit hole of should you wash your high-vis clothing and what effect does it have on its luminescence? But we'll have a bit of a chat as we go along. I think the UV has a bigger impact than the detergent. So, Drew, do you want to introduce the paper that you are that uh, that we're going to review? Okay, so th- this paper is called "The Roles of Garment Design and Scene Complexity in the Daytime Cons- Conspicuity of High Visibility Safety Apparel" from the Journal of Safety Research, two thousand and eight. Uh, the authors are Dr. James Sayer and Mary Lynn Bonarossa. Uh, they're still both working and were working at the time for the University of Michigan Transport Research Institute. So, Drew, the title of that paper, that was a bit of a mouthful. It's basically, can you see people during the day when um, they're in a busy environment? As I was reading this article, and, and we talk about titles and um, have written a few papers with Drew, you know, we tend to put a bit of an effort into the title. But here was a perfect opportunity to, um, to call this paper something like, Where's Wally? where's Wally wearing his high-vis vest because exactly what they're trying to talk about you know scene complexity and and how much something stands out no I I think that would have been an improvement I was going for something more like how visible is high-vis or so let's talk a little bit about how that people study visibility so this paper gives a pretty good summary of the range of types of other studies that exist Uh, and generally it comes down to a trade-off between researchers having lots of control over the variables and having very natural settings. Um, And this is important because it seems that the results actually change between lab environments and the real world. So you have to be really careful. You can get quite good results in an artificial environment, but it doesn't actually mean anything when you take it into a real setting. So some of the things people do, the really most simple one is they give people a picture of someone in high vis and say, how conspicuous is this person? And, you know, rate this, how conspicuous it is on a scale of one to 10. And they use that for testing out things like different colors or different patterns or different stripes or different situations. Just give people batteries of pictures and ask for their opinion. I guess slightly more scientifically, they measure how much light is coming off different things. And so they'll test different garments and different layouts just in terms of how conspicuous it is sort of in technical raw light terms. But then the next thing they do is they do a sort of cascading series of tasks that get more and more realistic. So a really simple task might be you flash up a picture on a computer screen and someone has to click on the person and they measure how long it takes. Or we might make it more realistic. We might get someone actually going around in a car sitting in the passenger seat and you have the equivalent of a blindfold on. It flashes open. How quickly can you spot the person? Or we get someone to actually drive around and point out the people that they see. Um, And then most realistic is when we get people actually out on a real world driving around looking for people. And we measure how quickly they can see the people and whether they miss any of the people. So in this study, it was more of the the latter there about this naturalistic uh, environment. So participants in in this study drove along a 31 kilometre route. And I think they actually did did that twice. They had no idea where or how many workers they would need to spot. They were simply told, you're going to drive along this route. And the researchers had um, situated themselves. So researchers were pretending to be workers standing about one metre from the edge of the road. 
they were standing in places where there was at least or a sort of a 500 meter or half a kilometer line of sight, clear line of sight to the to the car. So, you know, they weren't hiding behind trees or anything like that. And so these fake workers, let's call it the researchers, uh, they had one of four different high-vis outfits on. So there were four, there were four different high-vis out, outfits and they were either stationary, so just standing there or swinging their arms around. And then they were either in low complexity, medium complexity, or medium complexity settings. And what that meant was the low complexity setting was basically just an open road, occasional signs, houses, um, but a fairly open street sort of scape. The medium complexity had had shops, it had traffic lights, it had parked cars. So while there was still a sort of that clear 500 meter line of sight to the fake workers, there was more going on in the field of vision of, of the drivers. So Drew, have I sort of explained that that research design and that setup? Well yeah, enough? no, I think that's a fair description. They've got some photos in the paper if you're interested in seeing the difference. Medium complexity environments really were visually complex. They were multi-lane roads. There was traffic on the roads. So there was a lot to look at and see to try to spot out the person standing there in the high vis. And the, all the participant has to do is drive around. And when they see someone in high vis, they just have to say worker. And then someone in the back of the car clicks a button, records exactly what time that happened and what position it was in. So they can measure how quickly the researchers got spotted. Um, and then the general goal of this is they just want to compare a whole heap of different factors. So compare the low complexity, high complexity, and compare the four different types of high vis which was basically either sort of short vests or long coats. And that yellow-green fluorescent colour versus the red-orange fluorescent colour. Hopefully listeners can sort of visualise those two. They're kind of the two main high-vis colours that people use. Yeah, in the, um, well, in the Australian standard, particularly on high-visibility clothing, there's a, I think there's a few more colours now, but the most traditional clothing is that, is that really lemony-coloured, lemon-lime-yellow type of colour and that, um, that burnt orange uh, orange red color so that were the two colors Andrew so what was it so that's the findings so low complexity medium complexity four different types of high-vis clothings vests long sleeves um, people moving their arms around people standing still what was what did the research find so after all this work really the only thing that they found was the very obvious that in more complex environments the workers are much harder to spot which might seem a little bit disappointing but is kind of reassuring because you know, if there was a huge difference between the different types of high-vis, then lots of us have been making lots of dangerous mistakes for quite a while. And it turns out to be a fairly consistent result that the type of high-vis doesn't hugely matter. Um, in particular, the type of colour doesn't hugely matter. But there's a few things they talk about in the literature review of this paper and that we found in some other papers that we've looked at. That David, we might just sort of run through these as interesting findings and have a chat about each one. Yeah, that'd be great. So Drew, kick us off. Okay, so, so the first one is that the ability to just spot high-vis and the ability to spot a human wearing high-vis seem to be actually two different mental tasks. That spotting, recognising someone as a human is actually a little bit tricky, um, particularly if people aren't expecting to see a human. And so for that reason, what seems to matter is less about having high-vis on your body and more about people being able to see moving arms and legs. So if someone is waving their arms and legs, that makes them much more recognisable. And then if you put high vis on their arms and legs so that they stand out, that seems to work as well as them waving it around. So in this study we summarised, they said that you know, there's not a lot of difference between just straight up coats and vests or moving and not moving. But when you cross compare the two, 
the things that stand out is that either wearing a long coat or moving your arms and legs is better than just wearing a vest and just standing still. Yeah, so I think that is a interesting finding, Drew, that um and it sort of makes some sense that if someone's wearing a full sleeve high vis clothing, then you know, you can see sort of arms that you know out, out to the side of a body, which distinguishes it from a you know, a box or a or a sign or a bollard or something like that. Whereas if you just see a vest, you are literally just seeing a box, just a square, a square front if if you stand if you're looking at a person standing front on. So you know, that idea of, of people wearing vests in roadside environments, in rail environments and things like that, you know, maybe, I don't know, Drew, what do you think to this finding? Does that mean that you'd be better off giving people um, pullover, you know, pullover vests with sleeves in those environments rather than just the, the normal vest that people put over their work shirt? It, it does at least provide a hint that the more important it is for someone to be visible, the higher the class of high vis and the more it is full body does seem to actually matter. And that matches with cycling and motorcycling research too, that says that having your reflective bands around your ankles and wrists might seem just like a little thing to hold your nice work clothes in, but actually really does make a difference. People recognising that you're a fellow human. So next interesting thing, which I guess is not going to be that surprising, particularly to Australians, um, although this does seem to be common around the world from the research, that Drivers, even when they see roadworks, don't tend to expect to see humans. People are very used to seeing roadworks and just assuming that there's no one there, that it's just an unoccupied site, um, because we tend to leave roadworks set up even when people aren't working there. And so the fact that there are obvious roadwork signs doesn't actually get people looking out and get, getting better at seeing humans. Yeah, I think Drew, um, <laughs> say no surprise to Australians, I must admit I am one of those people that get a little bit frustrated of you know, slowing down on a freeway to 40 at, you know, late in the afternoon or at nighttime for kilometre after kilometre after kilometre and not seeing a single piece of work being done, but all of this traffic management uh, set out. So it, it really doesn't surprise me that um, that people, you know, if they don't see a human, maybe maybe they don't, uh, they don't uh, slow down or something. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that again soon, I think. Yeah, I, I used to get really frustrated by the roadwork set up with no one there until I saw the statistics on how often people got hit by cars setting up or taking down the roadside markings. It really is quite a dangerous part of the job, so I really can understand people having set it up, not wanting to yeah. take the risk of taking it down and setting it up again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it like that, but um, yeah, setting it up in the first place is a is, um, is quite a bit of risk. So the next one does seem to be fairly consistent, which is that there really doesn't seem to be a preference for any particular high-vis colour. There really doesn't seem to be, you. hey, we should all be wearing pink, or hey, we should all be wearing lime green, or we should be wearing yellow instead of burnt orange. Um, but what people do find is that having colours that contrast is far more important than the particular colour. David, I don't know if you ran into the study where they... I mean, this is totally unrealistic, but they were basically proposing sort of like measuring the colour background and then you, wherever you're working that day, you pick out high-vis that matches, or that doesn't match where you're working. And they sort of showed that there was up to like a 50% improvement in spotability by picking out clothing that clashes with the background. Look, I mean, I mean, that makes sense. I, I mean, like literally, it makes sense to the contrast um, is, is important. And just thinking through, like if you thinking about some of the environments that we work in, some of the mining type environments where there's so much yellow, you know, yellow, yellow vehicles and plant and signs and 
um, and sand and so much yellow. And then um, all of the workers are in yellow shirts as well. Uh, it, you know, and now we're seeing more recently, we're seeing much, much, many more dynamic colors, like you said, pink shirts and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, just thinking back to that road environment, if you've got lots of red and yellow, so all of the bollards are, are red and all of the street signs are yellow, if every worker in that roadside environment was in pink or, you know, a completely different color from all of the other stationary signage and equipment, maybe that's, maybe that's a sensible thing to do, even a safer thing to do based on this finding. Yeah, yeah, there, there does seem to be a pretty strong case for picking one color for humans and making it separate from the color that we use for other things because of this challenge of identifying humans rather than just identifying something that we should be paying attention to. And particularly this uh, this safety yellow. I mean, we've got this safety yellow everywhere. Handrails are yellow, stair treads are yellow, our, our plant and equipment is yellow, <laughs> like everything's yellow. So when the people are yellow too, it just, they just, they don't stand out. Yeah, it's funny because the paper paper I read actually said that we should standardise on yellow because that's the colour that people associate as human hive is. Yeah, well, they also they also associate everything else in a industrial setting with yellow as well. So I don't know. I did. I did. We did have. I did. Um, one of the sites that I used to um, be involved with had a separate hard hat for visitors. So everyone else had a white hard hat on site, and if you're a visitor, which meant you you didn't usually work on that site you had this most horrifically unfashionable watermelon-coloured helmet. So it was this cross between a, a red and a pink and a, like it was, the colour was called watermelon. But it stood out unbelievably. You could see these hard hats walking around the site and you knew, knew that that was a person who wasn't usually on this site. And it was designed in it for the emergency response system to to know who if if, um, if someone was on a site who may not understand the emergency response requirements. It was a, it was a major hazard facility. And I've always remembered that because I always thought in that environment, it was something that was so different to everything else that other people were wearing in the background settings that, um, you know, it really did stand out. So, so should we make a deal now, David, just to standardise on something and try to convince everyone that we need to just yeah, pick Drew, a colour and stick to it? What's your favourite colour for people? Well, we don't tend to paint that many trucks pink, so... I'd be inclined to go for the pink myself. Pink's a good colour. So so all of our listeners should only buy their workers pink, bright pink, uh, high visibility from now on. That's our colour. That's that's the, the Safety of Work podcast recommends pink high visibility clothing is going to make your workers stand out and be more visible. Well, not necessarily be more visible, but more recognisable as humans because humans ah, wear pink. So more recognisable as humans in, yeah in medium complexity settings. We'll make that the slogan, real men and real women wear pink. Yes. Yeah. Be seen, be in pink. Sorry. I just realized I really don't want to be gender exclusivity there. So re 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 real workers wear pink. Yeah. So a couple of other fun facts, David. The first one is I, I finally discovered why we wear colored high visit all, which has always sort of confused me is why these ugly colors? Because you can make anything fluoresce. You can add with modern technology, you don't actually have to have yellows and oranges, you know, 70s colours, 70s disco colours to fluoresce. But it turns out that there's a real scientific effect that um, colours seem brighter to humans than just plain reflective white. It's called the Helmholtz Kalrausch effect, if anyone wants to look it up. Although, again, there does seem to be some ambiguity about whether it works as well in the real world as it works in lab tests. Um, and the other fun fact is that now that everyone is wearing high vids, it's not just humans that can recognise other humans, that most of the actual recent papers on high vids are not about humans at all. They're about using computers to spot workers. It turns out that we've neatly labelled all of the humans on our work sites using these it's like motion capture clothing. 
so we can use your know, drones and cameras to spot the humans because they're wearing this particular shape of high vis. Oh, really? So you can program these cameras and that to say that's a person. Uh, yeah, it's it's much easier if the people are wearing standardized high vis than if they're just wearing work clothing. Would be even easier, Drew. I suspect if they're all would for the developers if they were all in pink as well. Absolutely. So Drew, there's so this final thing is that we should um we've, I think we've already oh actually we've dealt with this but we've dealt with this in a different way. There's a final point here that you make that there was some there was there's been some suggestion in the research that we should actually standardize a human high vis color and not have it the same as uh, other roadside marker type or signage colors just so that people do distinguish those humans uh, as different from you know signs or or other sort of markers or pieces of equipment. So, But I think we've covered that with our recommendation. Well, I think we need a second recommendation, which is no pink traffic cones. Ah, you, yes. no, no, no matter the incentive, once we've colored our humans pink, traffic, zone, traffic cones just have to be boring orange colors. Yeah, boring reds and orange. Um, and then the road signs, you know, black and yellow. I do have to admit failure because I tried to find a study looking at actually this, the original question that prompted this episode whether there's any evidence that we've got so much signage on roadworks that humans blend in. Um, I couldn't actually find a paper looking at this. Uh, the only paper I found actually says the opposite for a kind of strange reason. So this was by the same authors uh, on a closed course, and they had humans sometimes standing in the roadworks and sometimes standing on the opposite side of the road. Uh, and what they found was that the humans were much more identifiable when they were standing with the roadworks. And I was sort of wondering why that was until I realised that they've got floodlights in the roadworks. So the humans who were in the roadworks were all lit up and the humans on the other side of the road were standing in the dark. So, you know, of course, humans are more visible when they're part of floodlit roadworks than when they're in the dark. But we don't really have an answer to the question of whether humans blend into the back of roadworks. There is, though, one study, and it is just one study from Japan, that was looking at whether we should put light-emitting devices onto our people. Um, and they found that there were so many flashing lights on roadwork sites that if you put flashing lights onto the traffic controllers, it doesn't actually help make them visible. What works much better is to shine a floodlight onto where the worker is, and that makes a worker really stand out from the rest of the site. If they're standing in an area lit by a floodlight is much better than putting flashing lights onto the person, and they just blend in with everything else that's flashing. Yeah, I think true. Uh, and even if they... They either blend in with everything else that's flashing, but I think also it comes back to this uh, initial thing that you said, the difference between the task of spotting a particular colour and recognising that as a human. And I think um, seeing a flashing light isn't necessarily something that at least I would associate with, oh, that's an indication that that's a person. For me, that would be, oh, that's an in indication that that's a parked piece of equipment or a, you know, or a post or a sign or something like that, as opposed to, oh, flashing light must be a person. Yeah, and I think this is one of the reasons why on cyclists it doesn't work that well, that people just see a flashing light. It's very hard to spot what it is, whereas if they can see the legs pumping round and round, that becomes fairly obvious quickly that it's a cyclist. And the final one I'll throw at you, David, this, this one is from QUT, um, our friends in Queensland, and they just made a list of what causes drivers to slow down around roadworks. And so it was just a questionnaire and they gave people a sort of list of 12 different factors, reasons why you might slow down. Um, you know, would you slow down when you see a sign? Would you slow down when you see a warning sign that the roadworks are coming up? Would you slow down when you see traffic lights? Um, and the single biggest factor by a long way was if they could visibly see workers on the site, which is kind of reassuring that, you know, that that is genuinely what people care about is they slow down if they think it's an occupied site 
where there are people there. Drew, when, when I saw this takeaway, it did make me feel good about that the biggest factor by the long way was this presence of workers. And then the second factor that would make people slow down was the presence of police. And we know that there's a, times when um, you see the flashing police sirens or lights at the roadwork site. Now that I know, now that you've explained that it was a self-report questionnaire, the cynical part of me goes, I wonder whether that is actually what happens when drivers are driving, if they see you know, police at roadworks or if they see workers at roadworks, whether they slow down. So I'd love to see that study done in, in a naturalistic kind of way. So, so would I, David. But for the moment, I choose to believe that even the rating the police is because people care about the safety of police as much as they do about other workers. And so they're slowing down to be careful of not hitting anyone. Okay, maybe maybe today's my episode day to be the cynical the cynical one. Um, true. So, or maybe I'm just revealing a little bit too much about my own behaviour. So, is there anything else you wanted to throw in before we go on to takeaways? No, let's go. Let's let's go into practical takeaways. And um, and do you, do you want to kick us off? Okay, so, so I should say that all the papers we looked at are to do with stuff on the roads, and obviously people wear high vis in a lot of other places. And we haven't got into the usefulness or otherwise of the sort of spread of high vis lots and lots of places, even where it seems impossible that anyone needs to be visible. But let's let's assume that we're either on the road or we're somewhere where we it is important that we care about visibility. And the first takeaway is that spotting people is a lot more than just them wearing high vis clothing. The, the biggest you know, the fact that it doesn't vary when you vary the clothing says very clearly that it's actually the visibly uncluttered environment which is the most important thing, not the wearing of high vis. So if we care about people not being hit by equipment, if we care about people being spotted, then we should be caring as much about the background we're seeing them at rather than the particular clothes we're asking them to wear. And I think also the, the recognising of them as a person. So these, these um, something that's like a box with legs and arms. So we've got the colour and then we've got the uh, the fact that it's actually a person and obviously the contrasting environment as well, which goes back maybe to that idea of having visitors, you know, pull over, long sleeve pull over tops as opposed to maybe just visitors at your site and things like that. The second one, I realise now that it's possibly a little bit of a contradiction to what I've just said, but you exactly how high vis is designed does seem to matter to some extent. So in particular... The idea of having a colour that contrasts with the environment matters. You doesn't have to be... It's not the case that one particular colour is always best. But like if you, if you have like a fleet of yellow trucks, then you probably want to go for burnt orange high-vis. If you've got a fleet of red stuff, you probably want to go for a yellow high-vis. And the choice of whether it is a vest or full length seems to really matter. I mean, that struck me as interesting because most of the policies I've seen, at least for visitors, don't tend to specify. They tend to just say, you know, you must be wearing either high-vis clothing or you must put on a vest over the top. Um, and I think the evidence shows that if a situation ac actively needs high-vis, then it is probably worth taking the time to work out what's the best high-vis rather than just saying, hey, you must have something that's high-vis. Um, your thoughts on that, David? Do you... Yeah, look, I think I think it's something that what I started off thinking is a very simple question is, it, you know, it's quite quite central to how how much of an evidence-based approach we take to our practice like you said uh, and particularly I'll, I'll just reinforce that point if it, if it if a situation genuinely warrants high visibility then then it probably genuinely warrants um going to to links beyond just having visitors vests in in the drawer and then the third one related to that 
Given the amount that we spend on high vis and the size of the industry that sells high vis stuff, there really is a good market opportunity for a little bit more research. You, the, what we've got doesn't show any particular high vis having a clear advantage, but mostly that's because we haven't done a lot of research. You know, I reckon if we spent a little bit of money comparing different things, you could have a real advantage doing studies that work out what is actually better than something else and then use that as a marketing opportunity if you're in the business of you know, selling safety services. So Drew, is that an invitation for anyone who wants to uh, prove up the efficacy of pink high visibility on humans in, uh, in non-pink background environments to uh, get in touch with you at the university? Absolutely. But I mean, they, they, well, once you sort of get started, there are so many things like, you know, is it better to have a splash of yellow on your pink? Is it better to have your reflectors be silver or a different shade of pink? I think it'd be great to be able to say, you know, we have scientifically tested that this is the high-vis you should be wearing. We've patented this particular shade of pink and it's the only one that's been properly studied. This pink, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing, we'll be able to go around and see which site. Although there is, that being said, there is a lot of high-visibility pink um, in, in a number of different sectors now, particularly also in parts of the mining sector, Fortescue and organisations like that. We, we see a lot of pink in, in increasingly in industry. We, we should have picked a less common colour to standardise on, David, just so that we could see the spread of, what did you say, watermelon yellow? Watermelon. It's a, it's a, it's a colour. It's, a real, it's, a re, it's the real deal, Drew. Watermelon. A fluorescent watermelon. That's going to be the, the colour. So, Drew, invitations for our, our, our listeners now. Okay, so, so this might not have been the deepest podcast, but I think we enjoyed looking up the papers. And what we've tended to find is that a lot of the listener questions we get are challenges so big that we can't answer them in an episode. Uh, so my, my invitation today is just find some listener questions that are small and might have just simple factual answers that we can find out for you. You said something you'd like to know that maybe there's a paper out there that David or Drew can dig up the paper and tell you what the factual answer to your question is. So Drew, the question we asked this week is how visible is high-vis clothing? Do you, do you have an answer? Well, I guess I didn't phrase that question very well because the answer is, don't, yeah, high-vis clothing is literally visible. But it's got a lot of interesting little complexities around whether we actually spot the people once we've spotted the clothing. Yeah, and the importance of the, of the, of the contrasting background environment was, is definitely part of the answer to that question. So, Drew, that's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Send any comments, questions, ideas for future episodes to us at feedback at safetyofwork.com. 